What's up, everybody? This is the Semi-Pro Podcast, Episode 2. It's been a while since we have last been on, but we are back, and this time we are going to be audio only. We're going to be trying to come out with these every Saturday for, well, really the remainder of however long this thing lasts. We're going to start off with some NFL news. Tom Brady to Tampa Bay. It's been a little while since it happened, but that's definitely the most noteworthy thing that's happened in sports. What do you guys think about that move? For Tom, I don't understand it. And for Tampa Bay, I I understand it from a business perspective, but I really don't think it's a huge upgrade from what they had in Jameis Winston. It's no debating what? Tom Brady. It's no debating what? Tom. It's what? no what? It is no debating. What? It is no It's no oh, debating no, that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. In the first minute of the show and that is a hot take. You got to slow your roll. It's no debating Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm not disputing that. I'm just saying that in the year of 2020 with Tom Brady into his mid 40s that Jameis Winston I think Tom Brady's better for this Tampa Bay team. I I do. But I think as true talent as a quarterback right now, a out-of-his-prime Tom Brady, who is probably a year or two away from retirement, compared to a in-his-prime Jameis Winston, I think there's a little bit of discrepancy there. Hey, but I don't I'm, think not it's saying, as I'm not saying as... Jameis is bad, but do you realize he threw 33 interceptions last year? Or no, 30 I, or whatever it was. He threw, he threw 30, but I do. Yeah, I realized that he threw 30 interceptions, and that's why I think that's why I think that Brady is better for this team because he plays more conservative. But also, if you're going to run this passing offense that Tampa Bay and Bruce Arians likes to run, having someone that's not afraid to go deep and stretch the defense isn't necessarily a bad thing. I do think that Tom Brady is going to be more conducive to team success. I do think this Tampa Bay team will win probably two or three more games than they did last season. I just don't think that everyone should expect for Tom Brady to come in here and have really a monumental type season. He's just not an elite tier quarterback anymore. He's not a Patrick Mahomes. He's not a Russell Wilson. Ryan, 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 hear me out on this. He's not an elite tier quarterback anymore to the to the standard that he once was, but he is to your point. He is the greatest quarterback of all time. He knows how to win. With Scotty, you were in, you were bringing this up with limited weapons, and you brought up the point they're not going to be able to run the same type of offense with high octane, throw the ball all over the place. But you brought up the fact that they lost a lot of close games with Jameis Winston, who isn't as good of a decision maker, who isn't has seen as many defenses, who hasn't had the coaching, keep in mind, of Bill Belichick. I know Bruce Arians is a great coach, but Bill Belichick is one of the best game planners of all time, if not the best, and he knows how to prepare Tom Brady and his players for anything that they've seen out there. Which you and have to with, write. Brady's experience, with Brady's experience and Brady's composure and his ability to – not make those impulse decisions and not end up with 30 interceptions, you probably are right in that the, the Tampa Bay offense, it will look a lot different, but the team will be a lot more successful. You're not going to have two 1,000-yard receivers anymore because that's not what Brady does, but they are going to be a lot better. Tom Brady puts this Buccaneers team in a way better position than Jameis Winston does, and it's gone to show that teams in the NFL, they don't want Jameis Winston. He's still on the market for a reason. 
What you have to exactly. recognize what you have to recognize is that the Tampa Bay defense last season was tremendous. It played probably the best that you can expect from that group of players in Tampa Bay. They didn't really add much on the defensive side throughout the entirety of free agency. And in history, these type of defenses regress. I think that the offense will be better, but what I don't think is that this Tampa Bay team will be a significantly better team than they were last season. I still think they miss the playoffs, especially in the NFC South. I think that the Saints still control that division, and I don't think that Tampa Bay is good enough to make the wild card. I think it'll be close, but I don't think that Tampa Bay turns themselves into a contender solely because of this Tom Brady addition. Ryan, you have to understand that this is a team that won seven games last year with a plethora of offensive weapons, 2,000 yard receivers, arguably both top 10, 15 guys. And like you said, a defense that played really, really well. With all those pieces, you should not be winning seven games in a season. The reason they did was because Jameis Winston is still developing and behind the eight ball. This is a team that is ready to win. And by bringing in a quarterback like Tom Brady, I think they're going to be at least an 11 or 12 win team. You also have to to realize the view that this is coming from, like for Tom Brady, like before, like we all know, like we read afterwards the relationship that him and Bill Belichick had with each other. Tom, I think Tom Brady is out to prove that he doesn't need Belichick because I'm sure there are people that still believe that. And now he's working with a coach who is still great, but doesn't have that kind of tie with Brady. Like he, like with Brady, like Brady did with Belichick. So exactly. And if you're going to switch something coach, a lot more, a switch. yes, I agree. And I think Tom is out to prove something, which I think this is a bald move. And if it doesn't work, that doesn't hurt his career. Absolutely. But it is certainly risky, but I think if it works out, it can prove Brady to, like it can add to Brady's already plethora of how great he already is. Well, Scott, because I, the I... whole narrative, the whole narrative behind this Brady Belichick thing, Ethan, real quick point, and then you can go with Ryan. I just had to add this real quick. You're you're totally right, Ethan. You hit it home. This is now about Brady versus Belichick. We thought all along this was this dynamic duo, and now there's definitely something to prove. For both of them. I mean, Bill Belichick, it's not like his team just up and left. He still has that elite defense that caused all those turnovers for Tom Brady when his offense was clicking at the same level it usually does. He still has the same special teams players that make plays for him. I was a little concerned and a little skeptical on the release of the the kicker, Gostakowski, but, I mean, Belichick has a plan for everything. The one thing I'm concerned about is— He's really never wrong on those— is just this is just this quarterback battle. That's the only thing I'm a little curious about. I feel like people in Boston area are really, really trying to make this uh, Stidham guy. They're trying to rewrite this narrative that he's Brady. This late round pick comes in after, and it's just like let him be his own player and just let these two legends kind of show what, why they're legends in their own fashion. I think Brady will obviously be fine in Tampa Bay as he has weapons which is his main thing and he still has a good coach like we talked about in Bruce Arians but Belichick just has as much to prove and the only real question mark for him is what he's going to do with this quarterback position so I kind of pose the question to you guys and obviously you guys can take it where you please but like as if you were Bill Belichick kind of in this situation you have Stidham you have Barkley on the on the depth chart and you just picked up Brian Hoyer again who knows this is to be a Patriot 
What does what do the Patriots do at this quarterback? I think you have to go out there and sign another quarterback. I don't. I mean, Jarrett Stidham. What's, sure a, what's, he, a, what's a good what's a good what's a good markup position for you? Because there isn't a lot of quarterbacks on the market left, and two guys obviously that we talked about, Jameis and Cam Newton, still on the market. Both people try to like to write try to write the narrative that these guys need more structure. And what better place in the NFL is there for structure and continuity and a good foundation? For somebody who lacks immaturity like Jameis and Cam have seen in the past, that that's an idea that's interesting, but is Bel- Belichick's too smart to take that? Am I wrong? Well, I mean, I, I think, really think... I, I think for Tampa Bay, or for New England, both the quarterbacks on the market, Cam Newton and Jameis Winston, their problems are decision-making. What the Patriots system needs is someone to make decisions. That's why Tom Brady excelled in it. Someone who isn't a premier athlete who can necessarily evade tacklers or get out of the pocket but is an elite level decision maker is what turned Tom Brady into a legend and the greatest quarterback of all time I don't think you can just implement that into the brain of Cam Newton or into the brain of Jameis Winston if I'm being honest I think that the quarterback for this season is either Jared Stidham or Brian Hoyer and then you just wait to see what you can get coming either next year in free agency or in the NFL draft because if you don't have an elite level quarterback or at least a high quality level quarterback that fits your system you're not going to win anything in the playoffs and I think right now for New England Cam Newton I don't think fits that Jameis Winston certainly doesn't fit that and I don't really think that anyone they have on the roster does either, but at least they have the same archetype of player, even if they aren't as skilled as Tom Brady. So I do think that under Belichick's system, this is a sort of tanking or let, let's wait and see here. Maybe try to get a Trevor Lawrence. Maybe try to get a different quarterback in the draft. Maybe try to get someone in free agency next season. But if you have a below-average quarterback, you're not winning playoff games. So I would just stay pat with what I have and just wait for next season. Ryan, I agree that if you have a below-average quarterback, you're not going to be able to win playoff games. They weren't even able to beat the Tennessee Titans this year with Tom Brady. But here's the deal. Bill Belichick, much like Tom Brady, is also towards the end of his career. I don't think people realize that he is 67 years old, about to turn 68. Bill Belichick is definitely in the twilight of his coaching career. He's still got it, for sure, but he has to make a move at quarterback, and he has to do it now. Whether that's trading up in the draft to get a Tua or a Herbert or even like a Jordan Love, who they that might fall into their laps, or it's signing a Jameis or a Cam, I think you have to make a move to go get a guy with a lot of talent that you can plug into your system and try to win games now. Because Bill Belichick sure as hell isn't done winning, like you said, you need a quarterback to win playoff games. And Jarrett Stidham or Brian Hoyer don't do that right now for me. You act like coaching and to your point, and to is, your point, Ryan. It's Scott, you act like coaching is Ryan, something that you quick. forget. You act like coaching is something it's that not. you just can't that you that you get old and you can't do it anymore. Like you're gonna blow out in a That's not what I said. Coaching. I said he's hey, hey, I said he's sixty seven and he's in the twilight of his career. And he's still a great head coach. I never said that Bill is losing it or is not a good head coach anymore. He still Don't has twist at least, my words. Well, he still has at least 10, 12, 15 more years in coaching if he he's wants 68 to. years old. He's going to coach until he's 80? He could if he wants to. I mean, it's, no. Bro. You don't I mean, forget he could if he coach. wants to, but is, is, 
Yeah, we know that nobody forgets how to coach, and he's arguably, like I said earlier, one of the, if not the greatest coach in NFL history. But to to Scott's point, he's 68 years old, and he just lost his running mate, his running mate of 20 years. And like we just talked about, he's going to have to think on the fly and make up a plan to salvage. Because again, to Scott's point, he's 68 years old and he's a great coach. Do you think he wants to just end his career like this and go out like this? No, Belichick doesn't want to take that hit on his career and his legacy. Because like I brought up earlier, this is now a battle of him and Brady and who's going to make the best on their own. And Belichick's not going to settle for a Stidham or somebody like that because that's just going to try to fall into too much of trying to do what Brady did at, in that system. And they need talent right now. And I don't think, I don't think Belichick is the type of guy who's going to tank and go try to get Trevor Lawrence because that's a long-term project. And I don't know how much longer he wants to coach because there's no guarantee that this thing is all smooth sailing. The thing is, is that yeah. for uh, the, the thing is, is that in five years from now, if Belichick wins the title with New England, no one is going to remember back in 2020 when he missed the playoffs and when he got a first round, first overall pick or a top pick or something like that. No one is going to remember that. It's all the reward at the end of the tunnel. And even if it's a three-year turnaround, it's not like Belichick is going to retire in the next two or three years. At least I don't think so. So you don't if... know that though. Like, 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 look at all the athletes. Like, I know football is like, like, when you're playing. That's like, a really, really good point, Ethan. It's so different than coaching. But look at all the players that are just retiring now. Like, retirement is simply a life decision. Sometimes it has nothing to do with like the sport itself. Like, sometimes it's just like you want a break. Like, you have a you have yeah. a life outside of football. Like, you don't you don't know that much background about him. Like you don't know anything that he has, like anything that is involved in that. I personally think for them, the best thing to do is either, you know, build now, like don't regress at all and pick up like a Jordan love and see where things go. Or you trade for somebody who's already proven themselves and like Andy Dalton, who I think will get moved because I, I just personally think they'll get moved to somewhere but i think that's what you do well when has okay Bill ryan Belichick- i'm sorry guys i got disconnected for a bit but ryan i want to get back to this you're saying that i'm saying that bill belichick can't coach anymore that's not that's what not i'm trying what to I, say that is not that what i said at all that is the exact opposite of what i said that what what i think is that bill belichick has much more time in his career at least a few years and ethan i, I don't think we can talk on his personal life at all, because we don't know the guy, but he's dedicated his entire life to football so far, really since he was a young adult, and even probably before that, but, so I don't think that now that he's getting older, it's just safe to assume that Bill Belichick is done with football, this has been his life for his entire life. You're twisting everybody's words, Milano. What is up with you? I'm not twisting his words. That's exactly what Ethan just said. He said he wants to focus on his family. We don't know him. He has dedicated his life to football. He said he might. He said he might. That's an idea. That's how retiring from a job works. I I can't say that's guaranteed. I can only say it with optimism, and that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, I guess the difference in opinion here is that— Ryan, Ryan, hold on real quick. Ryan, Ryan, hold on real quick. And Ethan brought up a really good point that I don't want people to forget. The the players that you talked about, 
and you know we have Luke Keekley, Andrew Luck. Um, I'm blanking on his name, the center for the Cowboys. That right is better. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, those players, they're all proven players in this league. They're not scrubs, and they're really, really good at what they did, and they could have kept doing it for a long, long time. But they had the bag, and they had what they needed, and they realized there's more life than football. And for Belichick, who's going to go, this is going to be drastic for him and Brady and everybody involved. He lost his running mate of 20 years. That is like losing your wife of 20 years. That doesn't just hit different. That they had a really, really special connection. And all Ethan was trying to say was that the possibility of Belichick pursuing something in his life other than football, because to your point, Ryan, that's all his life is. And that's all we know Belichick for is football. Maybe he doesn't want to do this anymore, dude. Maybe he doesn't want to coach. He's got to be 68 years old. If he didn't want to coach anymore, if he didn't want to coach anymore, he'd retire. The difference between Bill Belichick and Andrew Luck and Luke Keekly and Travis Frederick, the difference difference between Bill Belichick and Andrew Luck and Luke Keekly and Travis Frederick is that those guys are players. There's an injury aspect involved. If Belichick wanted to retire, he very easily could have when all of this Jimmy Garoppolo stuff happened, when all of this Rob Gronkowski stuff happened, he didn't. He stuck with Tom Brady, even though Belichick knew that Brady was a little bit past his prime, even though Belichick wanted to keep Garoppolo over Brady, none of that mattered. He still stayed. I don't think it's safe to assume now that Bill Belichick got what he wanted two years ago in essentially getting a new quarterback for Tom Brady, that it's safe to assume that Belichick's just going to retire. I don't think that that yeah, has but any that's basis when he's at all. Brady's gone. That's when he had Jimmy Garoppolo still on his roster lined up to take over. That's who he wanted as his replacement. That was Bruce guy. wouldn't allow that. Kraft wouldn't allow that move. He said, no, you're trading Garoppolo and we're keeping Brady. And if and he didn't retire how do you then, think that sits? then, if he didn't retire then, what makes but you think I that he's going to retire Ryan, now? My... No one's saying he's going to retire. No one's I'm saying he's sure going to retire. I'm pretty sure all saying that he's going to retire, at least soon. No. We're saying he's no, – we're saying there's optimism, but I don't think he does. He's 68 years old, Ryan. He's 68 years he's 68 years old. He has a life outside of football that nobody knows about really because he's a really private, shy, short-worded guy. But I'm just saying the possibility is there because whatever the relationship is, we don't know the fine details. Everybody likes to speculate. We don't know the fine details between Brady and Belichick's relationship, but what we do know is regardless of what they had, between the lines, that was the baddest duo we've ever seen in the NFL. Coaching, quarterback, duo. There's never going to be something like that, and that will take a toll regardless of the relationship, and that is simply the point I'm trying to make. I'm not trying to infer on Belichick's life. I'm not trying to do any of that because, like I said, he's mild-mannered. He's short-worded. He doesn't let a lot of opinions out there other than football. You guys know the classic eight fan. We're, we're on to Cincinnati. We're, we're on to Cincinnati. You know, he's, he's like that in interviews, but you know, we just we don't know, and that's all we're trying to speculate, and that's it's not past that, and that's that. We've just, I just think that we've seen it before. We've seen Belichick overcome this before when he lost Garoppolo, and I think that you guys are sort of contradicting yourselves when you say that if without Brady there's a chance he retires, and then when I call you out on that, you say that's not what we're saying. He's not retiring. 
I think that Belichick is one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach of all time. I think that he will rebuild. I think that this season, right now, he doesn't have his guy. This season is he about doesn't have time to rebuild. Guy. You're acting. You can't coach till you're eighty. I you can. You just can. And even if you know how much energy goes into like coaching football, like you run that organization. Like sometimes, like the the tank just runs out. Like that happens. Do you not think Bill Belichick wants to run the organization? Bill Belichick is one of 32 people who has a sole grasp on an organization, or at least a co-grasp with Robert Kraft. Do you think that Bill Belichick wants to give that up? I don't think so. I... You guys are saying that he might retire, or he, he but he's not retiring because of Brady. Like, All right, this is going in circles. Let's transition to the best moves of the NFL offseason. We're talking free agency. We're talking trades. We're talking anything you want, any type of player acquisition, maybe even a coach acquisition. That could be the best move, too. Ethan, what's the best move of the offseason to you? Um, I'm going to stay away from DeAndre Hopkins because that's uh, – for best and worst, that's pretty obvious. Um, Ian's going to love this. I think Drew Brees coming back, um, oh, I believe it's two years. It is, <laughs> it it is a two-year deal. Two-year deal. Make yeah. my heart. Um, added Emmanuel Sanders. Just the whole team looks completely different. They're ready to go, and they're not giving up yet. I think they're ready to go. They're all in. Yeah, it's promising news to hear also. I was I don't know if you guys picked up on this. I don't know how active you are as Saints watchers. I was really getting a vibe that Alvin was not healthy pretty much all season. And we've heard now reports that he was kind of playing on a gimp knee. At, he quoted it at 75%, but he says he's back at 100% now. Ethan, you brought up Emmanuel Sanders. Um, I hope they – Target a wide out in the draft in the draft just to get him one more weapon. I like the young defense where it's at right now. I think it's in a good spot and they're just continuing to get better. I can't be a hometown homer and uh say that's my favorite move, even though it obviously is. Best move I would have to say would probably be um the Baltimore Ravens getting uh Clayus Campbell for the Jaguars lunch money. Um that that was just that was all around a really, really odd, talented player. Obviously doesn't quite get the recognition he deserves playing in Jacksonville. But, I mean, he's an all-pro defensive tackle. He he plugs the middle really, really well. He gets quarterback pressure. And, I mean, we saw it all last year, you guys. This Ravens defense was loaded top to bottom. And they just made plays after plays after plays. And that offense was so dynamic. And they just beat you on both sides of the ball. We saw lots of dominant games from them, and that defensive line just got a lot stronger. And with that secondary, just be ready, bro. Be, that defense is going to be scary. And a oh, oh, quick tidbit, I know this is Colin Cowherd's um, original take. I just got to shout him out for it because I think it's genius. Joe Burrow, he's going to have a rough go in that division. Those defenses are no flipping joke. Those are some three really, really solid D lines, and Joe Burrow's going to have a rough transition. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with Colin on that one. All right, so I'm going to have to agree with Ethan on this one. I mean, there's a lot of really good moves that I like. I like the DeAndre Hopkins move. I really like the Byron Jones to Miami move, even though it was quite the contract. I really like Darius Slay to the Eagles, but I won't elaborate that on, on that one because I won't be a full-time homer. But I just really love this Drew Brees to the Saints move. I think that they've had a really rough past few years. 
they've been great teams in the regular season and it just kind of has slipped through their fingertips in the playoffs, sometimes in their control, sometimes out of their control. But I think an important thing, especially when you have such an established system with an established quarterback and head coach, is that you can't jump ship too early. And even though Drew Brees is getting up there and he's lost some of his ability, he's still a great quarterback and meshes great with Sean Payton. So I like running this back and giving it another two more years. I hope they add some pieces around him, like Ian said, because Michael Thomas is going to be receiving a lot more double team attention this year and defenses are going to be trying to do anything they can to lock him down. I like the Emmanuel Sanders move. If Alvin Kamara can come back healthy and like he was two years ago, that would be great for this team. But yeah, I really like this Drew Brees re-signing with the Saints move. I can't I don't think we can write them off as a legit Super Bowl team. I, I had four moves that I like during this offseason. DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals. We've talked about that one a little bit. Calais Campbell to the Ravens. I, I think for the Ravens to only spend a fifth-round pick on a guy that is still a difference maker up front that's going to be one of the best players on that defense is an absolute steal. Darius Slade to the Eagles for a third and a fifth. Cornerback has been the Eagles' biggest hole for the last two seasons, and to be able to fill that with two late-round picks and get a guy in Darius Slay who did have a little bit of a down year last year but still is capable of being that number one for this Eagles team it is a huge difference maker. And then my big underrated pick for the best offseason move is Denver trading for Jarrell Casey for a seventh-round pick. Similar to the Calais Campbell move, Jarrell Casey is a guy that immediately will be a difference maker up front. And while the Broncos aren't as big or as notable of contenders as the Ravens are, I think that Denver is going to be a team that is going to probably double, not quite double because they won seven games, but they're going to be a playoff contender next season. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about Denver. Win team, Ryan. Drew they're not Locke winning 14, but I think they're winning 10. I think they're winning 10. <laughs> no. no. Okay, here's the I, I want to go back to the Darius Slay move real quick. Like you said, Ryan, corner has always been a struggle for the Eagles. And as an Eagles fan, I can attest to this more than anyone. Ethan can too. And Darius Slay is a great move, and I'm happy that they brought an elite corner in. You can't expect anything different. They needed a corner, they went and got an elite one. But the worry is, is that this is just going to be another overpaid corner that they've signed. They've done this before with Osamoah, Rogers, Cromartie, Byron Maxwell. There's a long history of this in Philadelphia. I hope Darius Slay can break the tra- can break the chain. But like you said, he had kind of an off year last year, and that's a little bit worrisome. But I saw this morning that he said in like an interview or a tweet or something that he's fine and he's still a top corner in the game. So. I'll trust him, and I'll I'll take him for his word that he can have a really successful tenure here in Philadelphia. I completely agree. I really like that Darius Slay is joining this Eagles team. I think it's just a matter of production. It's, is the production from Darius Slay going to be 2018 Darius Slay, or is it going to be 2019 Darius Slay? And that's really what people have to figure out in Philadelphia. I completely agree. Um, obviously, Scotty touched on it. Um, I'm a big Eagles guy as well. You know, Byron Maxwell being the one I remember most. Um, the guy was awful, and we paid him so much money, and he didn't fit, and it it all just went to shit. Um, I don't think that'll happen with Darius Slay. Um, 
I give him the benefit of the doubt that he did play in a shitbag franchise in Detroit, and that's a whole mess and a half. Um, and he just kind of got all caught up, all caught up in it. And you know, that's where you get this sort of like sense that you know he had a down year and all that. So I'm hoping things change. I think things will change. Um, it's a whole different scene for him and. Um, I've read before that he's ready. He's been ready to go. And yeah, it'll be exciting coming from an Eagles fan. All right. So we've talked about some of the best moves of the offseason. In your guys' opinion, what are the worst moves? All right, so I think that there are three moves that I I just didn't like. Some of them people thought were good. I, I wasn't a huge fan. The first is that the Rams, they signed Todd Gurley for one year, $6 million. It's a low contract. I understand that. But Todd Gurley is a shell of himself. He isn't the MVP, Todd Gurley. And, and paying a running back, granted not that much money. It is a one-year expiring deal. But paying a running back in a system where you know Atlanta wants to throw the ball, they're a passing offense, and they already had a running back that is Pro Bowl caliber in Devonta Freeman. So I don't necessarily think that Todd Gurley is a huge upgrade. I think that his knees are going to be a huge problem. I don't know if he's going to be able to go back to form, and I, I quite honestly don't think he will because those knees really hindered him last season. So... One of my moves is the Falcons signing Todd Gurley. I also have the Bears acquiring Nick Foles for a fourth-round pick. Yes, they need a quarterback, but the difference between Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles is nil and void. There isn't really a difference. If they're going ooh, to roll with... Ooh. I think that if anything, I think Mitch Trubisky quick, is quick. better than Nick Foles. If anything, I think Mitch right, is better than Nick Get Foles. out, get out, get Whoa. out. Whoa. I am not a Nick Foles believer. I'm not a big dick Nick Ryder like Ethan and Scotty are, but that is blasphemy, Ryan. In the words of Stephen A. Smith, that is blasphemy. Come on, bro. Mitch Trubisky better than Nick Foles? No. No. Stop, bro. Get get out. None of that. Mitch Trubisky, if you put him in Nick Foles' position in 2017, he wouldn't have gotten him out of the first round. I'm We're sorry, but that's just We're not talking about 2017. We're talking about 2020. We're talking about 2020 NFL football. You think Nick, Nick Foles, Foles has regressed that much? I I don't think that Nick Foles was that good in 2017. I think he had a tremendous roster, and he played well. Don't get me wrong. Nick Foles played very well, but he was never a franchise quarterback at that time. He isn't a franchise quarterback now, and Mitch Trubisky played a full season with Chicago not three years ago like Nick Foles, two years ago, and he led them to the playoffs and outside of a Cody Parkey botched field goal, the Chicago team is moving on to the next round. They're moving past the wild card into the divisional. So I, okay, I, I can we can argue about so this all day. The reality of it is, once. we can argue about the this real, all day. The reality yeah. is, you're wrong, but it's okay. That's I just, just want to say true. my worst you're, move. It's just not true. <laughs> you're not going to bring okay. up the defense once. An entire statement you just said. You're gonna give all the credit to Trubisky and not the defense. I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna chime in with Ethan. Like, Mr. Trubisky, he's 
he can show flashes of being a game, a really solid game manager and not making mistakes. But when the game doesn't go in the right direction for him and the, the off the opposing offense is putting up points and he has to get his team points, that's when we see him struggle. The game has to have a narrative for Mitch Trubisky to be successful. And that Chicago defense allowed him to do that. They really put him in a good position to not have to do a lot for his team to win games. And um, I know, Scotty, you just tried to transition, and I'm trying to transition too because you guys will argue about Nick Foles all day. My worst um, offseason move, I, I really just don't get the the Phillip Rivers move. I really I really don't think that that's all that impressive. Um, it's, it's a big – money deal i believe it's around 25 million for that one year Mm -hmm. um they yeah they they got uh, the the one thing the colts have that gives me a little bit of hope is they have a really solid offensive line around him and that's one thing he never really had in san diego or la i guess now um is just the, the the presence of an offensive line and we've we've you know just given rivers all the crap over the years for throwing all these interceptions and kind of making some plays that make you scratch your head from time to time. But he's running for his life out there. I think he will be a little bit more calm. But I just don't know if I've seen enough success out of him to pay him $25 million when if I'm the Colts, I don't I don't need that. I mean, I was, I was was if I were the Colts, I would be pretty content with Jacoby Brissett. And I just think you try to move up in the draft and it's not – it's just not that – I just don't – I just don't see it. I don't get the move. That, I don't know. I don't know. I think we're seeing a very similar thing to our earlier argument with New England here in Indianapolis. The difference between Jacoby Brissett and and Philip Rivers, I don't think it's that wide of a margin. Uh, Philip Rivers, the better historical quarterback, but I I don't think that there's very much of a difference between Jacoby Brissett and Philip Rivers on the football field. It's a one year expiring deal, so I don't hate the move for Indianapolis. It might give them a little bit of better chance to win. And when Jacoby Brissett suffered with his injury last season, the Colts really struggled. So now they have a little bit of depth in that quarterback room. But I sort of agree with you. I don't think the difference between Brissett and Rivers is that large. And I think the younger guy not backing away from him is the right way to go. And that's not what Frank Reich in Philadelphia ended up doing. Or in Indianapolis, excuse me. Hey, Frank Reich was with Philadelphia. So you got to give him that respect. He was a good coordinator. Yeah, yeah, he's okay. a great coordinator, great Super Bowl champion. Let's plug all the Eagles propaganda we can. Okay, absolutely. Twenty seventeen Eagles. Let's get it right. All right. So my worst move, my worst move of the off season is going to be the Titans re-signing Brian Tannehill to that fat contract. I understand Ryan had a great season, a great end of the season last year after he came in for Marcus Mariota. It gave him a lot of juice, and they were able to ride that train a long way. But here's my thing. I think it's just very similar to Nick Foles coming in for the Eagles in 2017. He was the right quarterback for that time, gave the team energy, and all those guys played for him. Ryan Tannehill didn't quite put up the numbers Nick did, but still. And 
I, I don't think either of those guys are franchise quarterbacks, so you can depend on long term. I think the Titans gave him too much money. If they wanted to bring him back for another year on a small contract, then that's that's one thing. But giving him the money like they did, I think, is really going to bite them and not be good for them because this is a team that has so much of its success predicated on the defense and the running game. And when you tie that much money up into a mediocre quarterback like Ryan Tannehill, it can really handicap you. And I really like what the Titans do as a whole. And I just think this contract ruins so much of that. Well, I agree. I completely agree. I think that Ryan Tannehill doesn't deserve 96 million guaranteed dollars. I don't think he's that type of quarterback, but I don't think that there was any chance that Tennessee was getting him on a lower tier deal. Ryan Tannehill proved that he was a winning quarterback, and if the Titans didn't scoop him up, then New England would have, then Chicago would have, then maybe Pittsburgh would have. One of these other teams would have went and gotten Ryan Tannehill. So I do think that with Ryan Tannehill, the Titans did the necessary move, and they had to pay him. They extended this little run that they're having maybe one more year with the transition tag of Derrick Henry as well as this signing of Ryan Tannehill. But it's really all in on next season, and I don't think this is an all-in roster that Tennessee has right now that can compete for a Super Bowl, even though they're coming off of his AFC Championship appearance. Okay, so I agree, Ryan. Like they, It might have been the necessary move if you want to keep the momentum going, but I just think there were other options out there of guys that you can plug in and be that energy quarterback that just kind of manages your offense. And my problem isn't with Ryan Tannehill. He's a solid quarterback. My problem is that I just really loved what the Titans were doing and Mike Vrabel building this team the right way from the ground up, getting a lot of young pieces, nice veterans, great running back in Derrick Henry, who looked invincible during the postseason last season. And I just think with all that money tied up in Ryan Tannehill, it's really going to handicap them, and it's going to derail what was looking to be a really promising run for this Titans team. I I completely agree. And I want to touch on one more deal that I didn't think was very good during the offseason, and that was the Buffalo Bills acquiring Stephon Diggs. Yes, they needed a wide receiver, but they gave up a first, a fourth, a fifth, and a sixth. And in a world where DeAndre Hopkins goes for essentially a fourth-round pick or essentially a second-round pick, Stephon Diggs for four picks, a guy that wanted out more than DeAndre Hopkins wanted out of Houston. Stephon Diggs wanted out visibly. Hey, DeAndre didn't want out of Houston. That's like, the thing. They had they had contract disputes. So there we was, don't know that. There was contention. There have been reports that there were contract disputes. There was contention between Bill O'Brien and DeAndre Hopkins, but. My point isn't about that. My point is about Stephon Diggs and how he visibly wanted out of Minnesota. And when a better receiver in DeAndre Hopkins, who had less drama surrounding him, got traded for essentially a second-round pick, Stephon Diggs being traded for a first and three late-round picks is way too much for the Bills to give up here. And th that's the thing. In Buffalo's much like Tennessee in this aspect. It was looking like they were building their football team the right way from the ground up. Good defense, good young quarterback who they're not paying a whole lot of money to yet. And when you tie all those assets up into one player, it can really we can it can really derail you. And we've seen it happen time and time again in the NFL and really any other uh, salary cap league. All right, so we're moving on to the NBA now. 
obviously not a whole lot going on with the season being canceled and it's not really any kind of off season, but we did get a big breath of fresh air for something for us basketball fans to watch with another trailer for the last dance documentary about the 97, 98 bulls dropping. What do you guys want out of this documentary? And are you excited for it? I'm absolutely excited. I, I, I'm one of those guys that religiously watches 30 for 30s over and over and over again. I'm not as big of a Michael Jordan supporter as you are, Scotty. Still love him. Still think he's one of the greatest players of all time. And there's an argument for him to be number one. But even as a guy who isn't a diehard Michael Jordan supporter, I'm still beyond excited for this documentary. A multi-part documentary like this, we we just haven't seen before in sports, so I think it's going to be revolutionary, and uh, I, I'm honestly, I'm speechless because I can't wait for it to drop. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I mean, I'm a huge Michael Jordan supporter, like you said. I unfortunately wasn't alive to witness the greatness as it was happening, but I know as much about Michael Jordan as anybody, and I know what the greatness looked like. He was an incredible player who was untouchable for the whole entire, well, almost the whole entire decade of the 90s with a couple of blips in the radar. But I'm super excited for this documentary because at that point in the 97-98 season, everything on that Chicago team was imploding on itself. And there were a lot of tensions between a lot of strong personalities like Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman. And I really think we're going to get our first true look into what it takes, into what it looks like to be around a bunch of guys who are trying to do nothing but win basketball games and the ugliness that that can come, that can come with it and th- how the personalities can collide. I think a lot of people's opinions of a lot of these players are going to drop a lot after this documentary drops for sure because we're going to see a lot of ugly sides of a lot of players, but I'm really excited to see what really went on in that locker room. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway is just that, like, for our generation, Scotty, you brought it up, we weren't alive to see Michael Jordan and his greatness in person. You know, the when we were growing up, when we were younger kids, it was kind of Kobe. And then, obviously, our life, LeBron has been our MJ. And it's not – I'm not trying to compare the two because I know everybody tries to do that. I'm just saying in that same facet for our, our dad, you know, when they were watching sports growing up, they're like, damn. Mike and you know when we're coming up we're like damn Kobe and damn LeBron like it's that same era and that same feeling and I just I'm excited to kind of be able to really like you said Scotty just see a good side of it from a different perspective because that camera was running no matter what I mean, and we know we know all those guys had their faults they had their vices. They had their fights. This is in no way going to be a flattering documentary, I think. And I'm oh. really excited for that. Yeah, I am too. I think that's one thing that like people kind of get caught up in. And I mean, I think competitiveness is a really, really good thing. But like you said, it can bring out a lot of ugly in people. And I mean, we don't know a more fearsome competitor than MJ. And so I really just think we'll kind of see the true t- like you said, you put it perfectly, what it takes to win basketball games at that high level for that one. The clip that really has been getting to me in the trailers is when Michael is sitting on his couch with the glass of scotch or whatever he's drinking in his hands, and he's just talking about, like, I was trying to win 
at all costs. That was I know, all that, I was trying that, to do. That, and, I'm just like, what does that mean? What is all costs? Because I know he it means scary. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, he, he was, was a competitor scary, like dude. He was a competitor like no other. And I'm just just the amount of people that they're interviewing outside of just the team. I mean, they have so many guys that have a prominent role and just like can really emulate it from what it was like. We get the inside perspective, but we also get the outside perspective. And I just think it's going to be a documentary like we've never really seen. Who are you like most excited to see what they were really about at that time period, whether it's Pippen or Dennis or Mike or whoever. I mean, okay, definitely MJ, just because, you know, we just talked about it. I just want to see his, his, we saw it with Kobe with the jaw clench me. And we saw it with Braun game six against the Celtics with the the villain face. You know, I want to see that side of MJ because I don't take any respect away from MJ. I don't discredit anything he did as a player, but it simply just doesn't have the same effect because we never got to see him play. And we see those guys go into that zone live game and highlights just don't do it the same justice. And this raw footage of really just like what, MJ was, I think is going to be so captivating, but Scotty, we're roommates. You are a Rodman Rodman lover. And I am just dying to see the craziness behind this dude. bro. He's a character, but he is just such a beast. He's just down to earth. He's crazy. He's everything. And that there's so much to Dennis Rodman that people just say, Oh yeah, he's the guys on the, that rebounded and was crazy and had the, the rainbow hair. Like, sure, so I, that's Rodman, but there is so much more to Rodman. There is a lot, especially with what he does what now. I want, that's what I want to know, bro. That's, MJ's will and his it factor is what I want to see, and I just want to see Rodman as a – who is Rodman? I can only imagine MJ when Rodman came, and, you know, he's at the height of all this great success, and they're winning games, and then all of a sudden they're like, all right, here's the guy with the crazy hair. He has like 80 piercings, and yeah, on game night, he might take off and he might fly to Las Vegas and blow $50,000 and then come back just in time for the game. He might not show up to practice. (laughs) He might not do any of that stuff, but yeah, he's going to get you a bunch of rebounds. I can only imagine how that went for the Bulls, and I know there was a lot of contention there between a lot of those players, so I I don't think I've ever been this excited for a documentary. Ethan, what do you think? Uh, I completely agree. I mean, there's... with the Dennis Rodman take there's there's so much to him especially afterwards like you know as you guys have said before like we weren't alive to see that kind of stuff but we see how he is now and you can only think like how much of that was the same like him in North Korea like one of the very few American citizens to actually be allowed like in there like in terms of just like politics like that's just something insane um yeah I it's just the whole Rodman thing is just, he's such a character. I, I love to see what they capture from him. And I, I assume it's a lot. What Rodman. I want to, what I want to see is we've seen Rodman before. We've seen his 30 for 30. He just had that released less than a year ago. We sort of know what MJ's about just because of all the popularity. I want to see some of the role players. Uh, we, we know what MJ, we know what Robin, we know what Pippen are about. We know Steve Kerr is a coach. I want to see Steve Kerr as a player. We know some of these Bulls people after they played with Chicago. I want to see what it's like to be overshadowed by Michael Jordan and just sort of be along for the ride witnessing greatness. That's what, that's what I'm most intrigued to see is how Steve Kerr articulates 
or Charles Oakley or someone like that articulates their experiences where they're a great basketball player, no doubt, but they are not Michael Jordan. And I'm really hoping that they touch on the Michael Jordan, Steve Kerr punch. I think getting both of those guys talking about it would be super interesting. And that's, that's something that we've never really gotten to know the full story of. So I, I really hope they address that. I, I, that might be the main storyline that I'm looking forward to because outside of the retelling of the Pistons series where Michael was just absolutely beat down or maybe baseball, I think the Steve Kerr punch is the best basketball story outside of the Pistons series, the Jordan Rules Pistons series that they could tell. So that, I, I'm with you right there on that one, Scotty. I think that, it's well, I mean, I think post. I think they're telling the best story they can tell with that whole last season because we've seen just from the trailers how chaotic and crazy that looked. So I think they're telling the best story they can tell, but that is definitely like an individual thing that is one of the most intriguing parts of that whole saga for sure. It just it it's just a microcosm of Michael Jordan. It's his competitive nature. We saw it later in his career with Kwame Brown. It's just him fighting to win it's him fighting to win and he doesn't care who gets in his way if you're his teammate or not he will get in your face he'll punch you in the mouth and you have to perform no matter what that's what michael jordan is bringing to the table no doubt okay so i want to move on there's not a whole lot of basketball content but we all love basketball so we want to keep talking about it and i had an idea if there was a three-on-three streetball tournament in the NBA, who are you choosing as your three guys? Ryan, let's hear from you first. Wait, well, wait, current? Cur- any, any, all time. Oh, all, all time. time. Okay. I went I went current with, current with it, assuming that everyone is healthy. And I said Giannis, KD, and Steph. Those are my three. Even if it is all time, that's not a bad team at all. It's not a bad team. I think that... If they're all healthy, yes, I left LeBron off. Yes, I left Kawhi off. I think all healthy, this team would play the best together, and they're the most well-rounded. They have two shooters in Steph and KD. They have two, quote-unquote, bigs with Giannis and KD. And then they have three real ball handlers who can all pass the ball pretty well. And guys that can get their own shot. I think that three guys that can get their own shot no matter what, Steph, KD, Giannis, the only problem is hiding Steph on defense in a three-on-three tournament. Steph isn't a terrible defender, but against all-time greats, he, he might be the worst defender out there. So I, I do think that Steph would be the problem, at least defensively, for this team. All right, here's my squad. And I'm not going to lie, I don't think anybody's squad is touching mine, but it's okay. I mean, y'all can have your fun, and you can, you can choose what you want. But I'm going to have to share Kevin Durant with you. Kevin Durant is just an ideal pickup basketball player. He can function as a big man, setting screens, fading, shooting. He can play inside. He's a solid defender. He can rebound. Kevin Durant is just an obvious choice of a guy you want on your street basketball team. I'm also choosing Michael Jordan. Michael is a great defender. He's scrappy. He's not afraid of physical contact, and he can play street ball better than anybody probably. And, I mean, obviously, he's Michael Jordan. He can just flat out play basketball. And my third player is Peja Stojakovic. I think him and Kevin Durant are going to function as two guys. 
Of you course you did. Guys, you can sit on the wing and Michael Jordan can drive and dish to him all day. I mean, you're really just going to have to pick your poison. Do you want KD and Peja raining threes in your face or do you want Michael Jordan dunking on you? I, I don't think anybody's stopping my squad. I can't believe you actually picked Peja. I was going to make the I got argument. You. I got you, Scotty. I got you. <laughs> I was going to make the I argument like, of Steph like Curry. The first, like the first two of you, I am going to have to steal KD. Scotty, you took all the words out of my mouth. All I need to bring up to back up my point, go watch KD drop 66 at Rucker Park. It is nasty, and you need no other proof why you want that man on your street. Next player is Kobe Bryant. Um, obviously, The perfect MJ right, matchup. That's my point, Scotty. If we're talking about your squad because it's the God squad, that's a really obviously, you know, people like to say, Kobe took all the of MJ's moves, and they do obviously play extremely similar, but I think they both just had the killer will. They both just had the it factor that nothing, nobody worked harder than those two guys, and I just think Kobe would just really just be a killer, and I think he is just a slightly, slightly better shooter than Mike, and when the defense gets real scrappy, I think Kobe can extend the court a little bit. Um, and then my big guy, uh, for my other third, I'm going to have to go with Dirk Nowitzki. Um Arguably top five most unguardable shot of all time, that one-legged fadeaway. Um, and then, obviously, just the tremendous shooting he possesses. It's it's a Stoyakovich, but it's it's different. He stretches the but he's obviously not that pure sharpshooter. He can hit open shots. He can be inside, play defense. And then again, he has one of the most un, unguardable shots of the time. And he might be a little bit of a lapse the exterior defense and his mobility, but I think we can, I think we would hold up just fine. All right, Ethan, let's hear your squad. Uh, I'm not going to be a rider and share any of the players that you guys said. So I'm going to go completely Ooh. original with mine. Question, um, that wasn't question. my first intention, but I can't. Wait, yeah. Question. You... question. So who were you, were you going to take KD? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Just, All right. That's enough, dude, enough said. It's, it's, I, just think I, I don't like need to repeat. Virtually, virtually, the perfect like pickup player like oh, he's yeah. just 100%. it's just there's just nothing he can't do out there in pickup and it's just a different type of style all right keep going i'm gonna go with lebron um i'm not the biggest lebron guy i'd, I'd easily say michael jordan's the goat but obviously you can't, ignore... what? you can't ignore you say? <laughs> i said he's gonna pick Embiid. No, I'm not. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a better I'm gonna pick a better big. Do a 180. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, David Robinson. Ooh, big. I like. Uh, just the complete package again. Um, quadruple double. He's done it. Um, you just you just can't ignore it. And my third is gonna be Kawhi Leonard, one of the greatest perimeter defenders of all time. Um. Also, the complete the, package. The he, can just, he can just take, just take it over. I've seen it firsthand. I've watched the games against my 76ers where he just runs, completely changes the vibe and just runs it all in himself and completely changes the game. So those are my three. Okay, I, okay, I think the only way to settle interesting this. Interesting question. Interesting question, Will Crick. Scotty, I'm going to take the words out of your mouth. Do a 2K tournament and agreement. Yes. We're gonna post it, and I'm super down for that. Um, what I was gonna say though is that 
just the pure like ability and just the difference in like pickup it's hard to really emulate that and especially today's modern nba because it's all about the flash and the dance when you're playing pickup and you're trying to really just embarrass your defender and now it obviously players just shoot and shoot and shoot and i just it's really hard in today's game to like get you know get that same type of play and it's really something you see out of the players and honestly i was just thinking on it because we all chose kd and it's just like it's more of an old old style you know type of game and it's just something that it's kind of a lost art is the the pickup and it just kind of had me remedy you know that was like a really solid era basket was just that pickup scene no doubt and i i I honestly hope that once this blows over a little bit and like we don't have to go full-on social distancing but maybe once the nba comes back that nba guys start getting some pickup games going because that would just be really fun and entertaining to watch while we're on this hiatus oh yeah you we know the excitement chris brickley's videos in the summer man those are just electric those pickup games like if we can get all the trainers games with all their guys like we would literally have like a couple all-star games on instagram every day like that's awesome that's what we need what i think is hilarious about those type of games is you see guys like lebron and you see like guys that are just dominant players and then you also see guys like iman shumpert and and just like role players on teams that are also playing those games just getting absolutely torched but everybody but, just mean, fucks with those do, guys. They're dope. They do. <laughs> they do get. They 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 get torched, but they damn well get theirs. And it's like, it's not even getting torched if you're getting beat by a guy like you. But like for a guy like Shump, like Shump, it, it, dude, people get lost in a player like Shump. And I think as fans, we are all have a good perspective on it. But dude, like, you see Shump at just like the wreck or like a, a just a 24 gym dude you were and you didn't know shump was shump like you would think shump was one of the best players you ever seen in your life and that is just the extreme talent that the nba possesses and it's hard for players like that to when they just you know they're in a gym with lebron james and you're obviously going to notice lebron james and what he's doing but that's that's a crazy thing about professional sports in general it's just the talent level is across the board we just recognize the really, really, really good ones. And I'm not saying there's not bad players, but you guys get my point. That It's just crazy to see that, like, we can sleep on a guy, but if we saw him and didn't know who he was, we would be blown away by his play. Okay, so last basketball topic here. This has been a really big thing on Twitter recently. ESPN did a bracket of the best college basketball players of all time. They left it completely up to a fan vote, and something – in my opinion, horrible happened. Even though MJ, in my opinion, is undisputedly the GOAT of the NBA, he was chosen as the GOAT of college basketball as well. What do you guys think about this? And if not MJ, who should have won? I personally am not prepared to tell you who should have won. There's so many li- There's so many names on the list, and it's just hard because you know, with college and jumping up to that scene, we see it all the time. And it's just like guys can be really, really dominant at that college level. And then they end up, you know, just not panning out at the professional level. And it's hard to see, but I was a little worried when that whole thing came out is that I was just worried players were going to end up doing what I thought they would do. And just making it based off their NBA careers or their professional careers. And, you know, that's not like, that's not what the bracket was about. It was about best college player of all time. And 
MJ in college in North Carolina, he was a good player, but there's been plenty of better players in their time at college that have played at a higher level than MJ. And that was what I was initially worried about with this whole thing. And so that, I, I don't know. I'm not prepared to give you an answer. There's tons of guys out there. And I'm really curious on your guys' takes, though, and maybe I can formulate one before it comes All back right. to me. For me, and, and this is hard because as a younger guy, I'm only 18 years old. There's so many legends that I haven't gotten to see play in person. But I do love basketball history, and I steady up on it a lot. I watch a lot of old games, highlights, 30 for 30s, like Ryan said. That's a really fun thing. For me, the best player in college basketball history, even though I didn't get to see him, was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Him on UCL, well, at the time he was Luol Cinder, but him at US, at UCLA was just unstoppable and dominant. They were the best team in the country by a mile, and Kareem was so good that he literally had dunking banned because of him. He was just that much of a freak athlete in force inside and, and a lot of people don't know this but the reason he developed the sky hook was to cover the fact that he couldn't dunk he needed a go-to move that he could dominate people with so in a lot of ways them banning dunking was a really good thing for kareem and he was just a player that changed the landscape of college basketball and how we view big men so much because before kareem a big man was will right you stand under the basket you snag boards and you just power over people and score the basketball. But Kareem at UCLA added a little bit of a finesse to the big man position. He was all these crazy post moves. He even had a little bit of a ball handle. He was a good passer. And he just had UCLA functioning at such a high level. And they were much CTV, must see TV for the entire time he was there. All right. I want to touch on... I think there's seven players that were better in college, at least, than Michael Jordan. And I want to touch a little bit on all of them. And then at the very end, I'll give you who I think is the greatest college basketball player of all time. First, Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He's a three-time champion, two-time player of the year. He was dominant for every reason you said, Scott. Christian Leitner as well, two-time champion. He won the player of the year as well. Pistol Pete Maravich, he averaged 44 points per game. Bill Walton, a two-time champion, two-time player of the year at UCLA. Michael Jordan wasn't even the best player in his own conference at the time. That honor goes to Ralph Maybe Sampson. not even on his own team. Yeah, maybe that not to James even on Worthy. his own team. Ralph Sampson was the best player in the ACC. Three-time player of the year at the exact same time that Michael Jordan was playing basketball. And then they included women's basketball in this poll as well. So I think Sabrina Ionescu, of course, we go to the University of Oregon. We've got to witness Sabrina Ionescu firsthand. But what she's done has been revolutionary for the game of women's basketball. The only knock on her is she didn't get to win her championship. But the person who I think is the greatest college basketball player of all time is Maya Moore. Maya Moore has a 150-4 career record at UConn. She's made four Final Four appearances, two national titles. She's the fourth leading scorer in NCAA history and a two-time player of the year. She has never not made the Final Four. Maya Moore was a revolutionary talent for women's basketball, and I think that, without a doubt, she's the undisputed greatest collegiate women's basketball player of all time, and I think that she should be the greatest outright college basketball player of all time. I'm going to have to okay. go with 
Ralph Sampson on this one, just the sheer dominance throughout the entire time and in a tough era of college basketball, it, you just, you just can't ignore it. Um, to add something that I thought um, stood out about like this whole seating thing is the longevity, like players who played one year and then players who played three to four years, like Zion Williamson was the same seating as Sabrina, Zion played one year. Sabrina played four, and I'm and not Zion didn't even have tournament success. <laughs> exactly, like he didn't win a ring, and they and they were the pick at the time. Like you, I would have to say you were crazy if you didn't think Duke at the very beginning of the tournament was gonna was was bound to at least make it to the championship, and they didn't. They lost to Michigan State. That that's something that just blows my mind, and and that is not really like in, that was never included, and I think it's com- like almost outright disrespectful by ESPN to completely put those two kind of players on the same level when one when one played three years more and accomplished so much more during that time. Well, and I want to chime in real quick because you brought up Sabrina Nescu, and Ryan, you brought it up too. We all got the chance to see her play in person at least once, and she just. She she does things on the court and she l- just plays at a pace. She is so under control and she is just so dominant on the court. And she gets all these accolades and she gets more recognition this year. And she's the poster for women's basketball. And it's just sad to see because when I when I another thing I saw when women and men were included in the same tournament is I know there's going to be these sexist people out there that just r- run this into a gender thing. And that really makes me mad because. Bro, you see the sweatshirts, women ball too. Like it's no, it don't matter what, what, if you're a girl or a boy or whatever, if you ball, you ball. And Sabrina balled. And when she, when ESPN and people post these things of her receiving these accolades and the top comments are, but can she cook? But is she in the kitchen? Like, dude, that is fucking disrespectful for one, because you are sitting in your parents' couch doing nothing, sitting behind a screen, and she's about to be the number one pick in the WNBA draft and set her family up for the rest of her life. But two, it's simply just a disgrace to the game, and it's just not fair, and I knew that was going to happen the moment this this bracket came out, and it just, it, it's just... It was just a little fishy decision by ESPN to include I really bracket. think they should have had two separate brackets, honestly. I, I really agree with you, Scotty, and I mean, you know, I don't discredit Maya Moore, and I don't discredit Brianna Stewart, but just the day and age of social media is these younger kids and all these people that are on these platforms where the voting took place. I mean, this this poll was conducted on Twitter, and I mean, Twitter's popular for people, but social media is dominated by the younger generation, and they see clips of Zion dunking. They don't see clips of Sabrina Nescu dropping 37 points on Stanford and blowing them out by 30. They don't see Maya Moore uh, as a four-time All-American, a four-time WNBA champion now. They see her as a female, and that's what's fucked up about the whole thing. And it's just that's what really needed to be – needed to make this a separate bracket to eliminate that situation, and that's what sucks is because it is just a dumb bracket, but – you know, you talked about it, Ethan. For a player like Sabrina, who worked so hard for her career and her collegiate career meant so much to her, to be compared to the same light as Zion, not discrediting Zion Williamson, but it's just not fair. 
Okay, so last topic of the podcast. Obviously, all sports are on hold right now. We don't know if they're going to be canceled. We don't know if they're going to be postponed. We don't really know what's going on. All we know is that they are not currently happening. What sport do you guys think is going to be hurt the most by not being able to play right now? Well, I'll go first. I would have to say, okay, I think. I think without a doubt, it's NCAA basketball. I think that without a doubt, the loss of March Madness is bigger than any of the other sports. You could claim the Olympics, but that has been rescheduled for next year, so they're not completely losing that. I think the biggest moneymaker, arguably in all of sports outside of the Super Bowl, is March Madness. And that has been canceled not only for the men, but also for the women. And it's really what keeps a lot of these programs going is March Madness success, especially for the teams that aren't Power 5 conferences that win their conference, get a chance to go to the tournament, and they're not going to get that success. They're not going to get that opportunity. If you're an NBA team, every single year you get a shot to win a championship. If you're an MLB team, you play 162 games a year every single year. If you're an NCAA athlete, you play four seasons. If you're not in a blue blood program, you maybe get one shot, if that, at making the tournament. So I think it's the most devastating for the players, especially of college basketball. And I think it's the most devastating for the business of college basketball as well because that is the biggest moneymaker in collegiate sports. Okay, so for I'm with you, Ryan. Obviously, March not, not having March Madness is going to be a huge monetary loss for the NCAA. But the reality of it is, is that every year people are going to keep watching March Madness and they're going to be okay. I think the sport that is going to be long-termly effect if that's even a word long-termly I don't know but you get what I'm saying affected by this is the MLB I think we're starting to come in to a nice new era of baseball even if it does mean juicing the baseballs a bit there's being more home runs hit players are making more contact we're starting to finally see players step up and try to be superstars on a global level not just be local heroes like it's been for the past 25 30 years i mean barry bonds was really the last global star in baseball we saw Derek jeter too but not having baseball this year and having to miss out on the start of a good era is really going to hurt them because and i hate to say this baseball is kind of a dying sport and not necessarily like the MLB is going to, you know, go bankrupt or it's going to be no longer, but it's losing a lot of popularity. And I think not having these games early on in the season and potentially not a full season is it's just not going to be good for them because we're not going to be able to grow with these players and see what they can do and see how many home runs they can hit and see how many perfect games are going to happen and see Bryce Harper hit a walk off grand slam and see Aaron judge hit 45 home runs in the first half of the season. We're not going to see all that stuff now. So I think it's really going to hurt baseball and their fan player engagements. I agree with both of you. Um, Ryan, obviously March Madness is a gigantic hit every year, like you said, and I'm not going to piggyback off that because that would be a really easy answer. Scotty, you killed the MLB defense as well. Um, I think you're right in that baseball is starting kind of a new come up, a new era. And I was even, I'm not, I've never been a big baseball fan. I was a little bit excited to start watching more baseball 
and you really just follow. I was really engaged by the whole Astros thing was going to play out, and that was kind of my main engagement to trying to get um, into it more. But, I mean, I'm going to have to say, and it's not circumstantial. It's only circumstantial for this year, but just with the way that the NBA has been built now and after this last offseason with all these duos, they've put so much time and marketing and money into talking about the Clippers and the Lakers in the West Finals and who are they going to go up against in the East. Nobody cares about the East as much as that battle. And when you finally had the epicenter of L.A. back, the Clippers were back. I think that brought a big juice. And, you know, LeBron obviously is the biggest brand in basketball for a player and the Lakers are the biggest brand for a team. And then being, you know, as it sits right now with the season being suspended, they were the number one seed. They were playing at a high level. And I think the NBA would really have kind of just reminisced and it would have been so amazing for the sport of basketball and just all the people that were touched by the lives of Kobe and Vanessa and everyone involved in that tragedy. I think it would have just been like wrapping up the bow on the present. If the Lakers had, could have captured this, this, this ring this year and at least given the fans the hope of it and getting those marketing. And I think that's huge for the NBA and whether we get a postponed season or whatever it does happen to turn out. I think that'll be a big hit, but nonetheless, you guys, like I said before, all sports are being affected in just different ways. Yeah, I'm going to add to more of what Scotty said about baseball, more of what's happening now with it. Um, they're already in discussion about canceling the season because of how long it is. And if they push it back anymore, it'll go into winter, and that is just not ideal baseball condition. It's playoff baseball condition to be playing in it's that's not even the only thing they okay. recently announced can i chime in real quick ethan yeah how, how epic would it be for a baseball game in the snow for the players that would suck but that'd be pretty hey, iconic okay. if you're a fan okay. yeah we love it man it, when football players do it i don't hey man i don't like i didn't like playing football in the rain or the cold Imagine getting, but they, but they prepare for that. Well, Ian, the problem baseball with that, doesn't. Ian, the problem with that is, is the baseball is white, and so is the snow. It's, it's not going to be the reason that in. Well, hey, that's easily changeable. <laughs> like, yeah, it's easily changeable, but also there's things like field maintenance that they can run every inning, wipe off the snow. I mean, I'm just, I'm just toying with the idea. I don't really think it'll baseball and snow will ever be a thing. But I was just kind of like, it's not the end of the world, but I get what you're saying with the conditions and I'm going to chime back out now. Also with, (laughs) if baseball continues, I think it'll just be a shortened season. I I don't think that the world series is going to be pushed anywhere past December at most. So I don't think there's any chance they play all 162. I, I think there is a chance that they play 80 games or something along that line. I don't think that they're playing all 162, but I do think that th- there is still a chance at a season, but I definitely don't think it'll be a full-length one. Yeah, okay, to, so- to, to continue what I was saying, um, that all has to be like coordinated with the Players Association and the league, which is also 
something that's been ongoing. They've recently announced that like players for Mookie Betts, who was just traded to, to the Dodgers, that if this season does get canceled, which who knows at this point, that he, since he's on a one-year deal, since he's on the last year of his deal, that he is an unrestricted free agent, which would completely screw over the Dodgers, who paid a good amount for him to him to walk to another team if that was the case. You know, there's cases where they're going to have to do another spring training, which is another month. There's so much stuff that is not figured out that if they can't figure it out and the season is canceled, that messes up a lot of teams and fans would be completely upset. I would be upset. It just It's just a lot of turn, turnover that is not figured out yet. And if they don't, then the season's done and, you know, a whole bunch is screwed up. Okay, thank you guys for bearing with us. We're still getting the technical side of this thing figured out. We're still trying to figure out how to not be talking over each other all the time because we can't exactly know who's going to be talking when. There's a whole lot of stuff we got to figure out. Got to figure out, but thanks for bearing with us. We'll be dropping these every single Saturday, so make sure you stay tuned to the Semi Pro Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at the Semi Pro Podcast. Thanks for thanks for tuning in.